0: That's noo to sign up today.
1: How's it going? And welcome to episode 135 of On The Wire, proud member of the Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at on the Wire Pod. I am Adam Howe. You can follow me at 80Grid. That's all spelled out. And once again, joined by Kevin Hastings. He should be followed on the Twitter at Hastings Kevin And... This is our a first official off-season pod, Kevin. We are recording this a little earlier than we normally do. Full disclosure, we record this on Thursday. We're going to pu- publish it out on Sunday, probably. And so we got a lot of time in between. So a lot could happen. But that's the beauty off-season is that we have this little bit of a luxury <laughs> in our timing so we can get these all these pods recorded. The non-luxury we have is the ability to watch baseball today, which was... Uh, basically canceled due to four sweeps of the wild card round not necessarily what i expected how about you
0: no
2: i would think there would be at least one of the four series that would go to a third game but so we're sitting here on first week of the playoffs and we're gonna have two consecutive days of no baseball so we're here waiting till Saturday until we get to watch games. But I do these division round matchups. I think we're going to get at least a couple of really exciting series.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think Alex Fast put out a tweet today. just which one are you looking forward to the most? And I threw, <laughs> I think if you go back and look at the Pitcher List staff prediction article it's over at Pitcher List, if I'm not mistaken, we picked the Twins to win the whole thing. And so I am looking forward to that series just to see that one work out. And as exciting as the twins actually looked this past two days as they beat up on the on the Blue Jays, I'll be interested to see how that series works out. How about you?
2: Definitely. And I'm, I'm also excited to see until they slumped. Oh, for a while in August and into early September, the Rangers were really looking good again throughout most of September did end up not winning the division the Astros took that so I think Rangers and Orioles is also I'm really looking forward to these American League series and the National League as well but both American League series really piqued my interest quite a bit I think it could be really competitive and possibly go I don't think we'll see sweeps in either of those that's for sure
1: yeah, on the national side, I think what worked out nicely for at least one team, Arizona, is the fact that they did sweep. So they have this extra time off. They can reset their rotation and get Merrill Kelly and Zach Gallen to go games one and two against the Dodgers. So I think that's pretty big for them. Personally, they surprised me by beating up on Milwaukee. I thought Milwaukee was going to be a, a playoff darling, if you will. I thought they could go deep into the playoffs. Obviously, we'll get to one of those pieces of the news that probably hindered them a little bit in a little bit. But yeah, I think that Arizona team is going to be a fun team to watch moving forward. And if they can pull up the upset on the Dodgers, that'll be a team to watch in the National League.
2: Yeah, the Dodgers don't have the pitching we're used to. So last evening, we mentioned the postseason Hold'em tournament or league that NFBC puts on for the Post-season and it doesn't start until the division round. And a friend of mine that helps me out, we we play the league, we'll put in a couple of teams together. And we were on the phone for three hours last night, and we didn't make <laughs> any final decisions. We were just, <laughs> spinning, yep. right? just <laughs> spinning different scenarios. And we kept coming back to the fact that the Dodgers don't have the pitching we're used to them having in the postseason. Are we going to load up on Arizona players? And it's a possibility. It's something that's crossing our minds.
1: Yeah, you, you got to assume that if Corbin Carroll can make it post the divisional series, that those points he can put up and what he's done this season, obviously, is any indication of what he can do in the playoffs. That's Those are big points that can multiply into further rounds.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And for those that don't know, you have to have the rosters are 16 players per round. And so with there being eight teams in the division round, the minimum is one player from each team and the maximum three players from each team. Hmm. So you'll average out having two players per team, obviously, but there, there is some strategy to towards players from the teams that you think will advance. So you get those multipliers going forward. You get any player you had in the first round that you keep in the second round. And I can't think other than injury, there's no reason you would wouldn't keep everybody you had in the first round if they advance. You get two times the amount of uh, points that they would typically score in that second round. And then on to the World Series, if it's a player you used in the Championship Series, you get two times. But if you had them since the Division Series, then you get three times their points they accumulate during the World Series. So picking the correct players in the Division Round is key.
1: Yeah, this starts, this starts up on Saturday, so it doesn't really matter what we talk about here because we're not going to publish this until
2: Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> we can started. talk about any of the players we want to talk about. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Those drafts are already done by the time you're listening to this, so I apologize if you're like, oh, great, I can go join this draft based on what they're talking about. Nope, sorry. Just follow along for the fun of it because this is all supposed to be fun anyway. Exactly. And all right. Like I alluded to earlier, we we did have some news come through with, uh, there's at least one news item here that's like probably about 2 weeks old, but I'm going to throw it in here anyway just cuz we haven't talked about it. It really didn't impact our fab, but it does impact early drafts. So, let's get into the unfortunate news that kept Brandon Woodruff off of the wildcard roster for the Brewers. He diagnosed with another right shoulder injury, kept him off the wildcard. It was expected that it was contemplated that he would miss more than just the wildcard round if the Brewers had advanced. Obviously, they did not. So it's that question that's never going to be answered. He's going to get some second opinions and see how that turns out for him throughout the offseason and how he deals with it. But there's a lot of people speculating that this is going to carry through the offseason. And if he requires any kind of surgery, it's going to impact how he can perform or if he can perform to start of 2024, Kevin. So with that unknown that we see here, like there's other players that we have to take into consideration with this, right? With the unknown injury, Max Scherzer comes to mind, obviously, with his injury he dealt with at the very end of the season. Um, not expected to play in these playoffs for the Rangers as well. And anybody else that, that got put on the IL at the very end of the season, not something we have to deal with. We'll get to one where we obviously have to deal with or don't have to deal with for sure in a little bit. But with Woodruff specifically, and then if you want to tie in Scherzer or anybody else, How far do these guys have to drop in a draft that you, you know, let's just say might be doing starting this weekend? Hopefully, if we can fill this first listener league by the time you're listening to this, hopefully it's already full and started. But like, how is how does somebody like Woodruff or Woodruff himself actually have to drop for you to feel comfortable taking that risk for what is an obvious reward?
2: Yeah, I don't think they're is a point where I will be comfortable. He missed four months this season Mm -hmm. from a similar, if not the same injury. At least the same Uh, shoulder. Yeah, Right. And the same type of injury, I believe. So I don't know if he re-injured it, aggravated it, if it was healed and just fluky, re-injured the the same part of his shoulder again. But it, it sounds like it's the same thing. And so there's no point where I will be comfortable. But there there probably is a spot where I, that I might be able to convince myself it's worth the risk. Unfortunately, in many of these situations in the past, I've convinced myself that too early is, is the spot to become comfortable. <laughs> As we talked with Derek last week, I still keep drafting Jacob deGrom every season. But I'm thinking... And I don't even know if he'll make it this far. It dep- of course, it's going to depend on any other news that, that we get soon. But I'm thinking at least double-digit rounds. and I don't know how far he drops. If, if there's drops like the one we have coming up, I don't know where somebody is going to grab him. We haven't seen a timeline at all. Just won't yeah. be available for the playoffs. If he missed four months of it earlier this season – okay, that he could be ready for spring training if it's the same recovery time or less. But there is just, with Woodruff right now, way too much unknown. It's not even really a risk I'm willing to take it. Almost any, it would have to get to that point in a draft where it's, where we're throwing darts, right? And so I don't see that happening. Now, this is a fab league that we're drafting. Right? Hopefully have it has begun by the time Listeners are hearing this on Sunday, and so that that makes it a little earlier for me. I'd actually take him earlier in the Fab League than in a uh, Draft Champions, Draft and Hold League right now. I think that's probably pretty obvious, but it, it's still, I, I'm going to really want to have a really good foundation for my team before I start taking that risk. Late teens, before I'd even think about it, and I, I don't know if he's going to fall that far.
1: This feels really, I know it's obviously apples to oranges, the hitter and a pitcher and all that and his shoulder on a pitcher obviously plays a little bit more of a role, but this feels really similar to the kind of the non-news or news we got revolving around Max Muncy last offseason. And then all of a sudden we got something that was just like, oh yeah, it's, he's never been healed and it has not (laughs) been. And then all of a sudden he drops to pick 200. 250 in some drafts. And obviously that that was the sti- that was a steal at the time in retrospect hindsight being what it is. He he still put up a 200 average or so, but he still gave you what you needed, especially out of pick 200 or 250, and it worked out in that way. And I think this is the argument or this is part of the argument why people I wouldn't necessarily say this. I do enjoy drafting early. But I would say that a lot of people would say draft early because you can find these, you can take these risks, you can throw these darts and they can work out. Obviously there are plenty of darts that miss the board completely and you don't know it until until April comes around, but these are those darts that I think early drafters are talking about where it's like yeah, you, the unknown is where you can make up the ground on these picks. So you can take that risk on Woodruff or Scherzer or whatever in the teens like you mentioned and he can turn out to be fine. Like he can turn out like we get news in th- two to three months and that he is perfectly fine, as unlikely as that might sound at this moment, it it is still in the realm of possibility, and you can profit from that draft selection. I don't think it's a safe way of thinking, for sure, but if you're drafting in October, safety isn't necessarily what you're, (laughs) isn't at the top of your mind all the time, but maybe it should be. So yeah, that the Muncie thing is what came to mind when I saw this as far as what I think we'll experience in the first couple months of the season as we get no news. Like we're I just don't think we're gonna get much, if any, news on Woodruff's availability now that the Brewers are out of the playoffs.
2: And I, I pulled up his game log. And, and so the the nine starts that he made when he came back during 2023, 259 ERA, 370 whip or excuse me FIP and 62 strikeouts in 55 innings averaged over six innings per start that was so valuable and so I'm probably I'm already contradicting what I just got done talking about and thinking now maybe this is something I want to because coming back from the same injury he performed well when he did come back he was Brandon Woodruff The Woodruff we see out there with the over strikeout per inning and and the great. uh, Yeah, it's something we're going to have to monitor. I don't see myself drafting him in this first couple of early drafts. But once again, I don't know how how far people are going to let him fall. He even went nine innings on, on September 11th versus Miami.
1: And that's where this came from, supposedly.
2: Yeah, but he went six innings the following start goodness and and then <laughs> finished up with five but dud uh, five innings four earned runs at miami he faced miami two of his last three starts so yeah it is so tough and I, like you said i doubt we hear much news on this for quite some time probably december winter meetings is probably the earliest we can hope to start hearing anything and so that's going to make it really tough for early drafters
1: All right, let's talk about somebody who came back from injury at the very last possible second. The Yankees activated Frankie Montas at the very end of the year. He did make one appearance on September 30th, right before the end of the season. Went 1.1 innings. Did get the win. So cool. (laughs) He recorded the win in his only appearance in 2023. He walked one, struck out one, whatever, all that did allow two hits in those four outs, but it was nice. It was a nice gesture. They didn't have to bring him back, but it was nice to have him come out there and earn the paycheck and all that. Do you see this as anything more than just a nice touch though, or are you looking at this as a very a, a positive thing that he was able to finally make his way back and get on the mound at the major league level before the end of the season? And is that going to impact the way you rank or look at him in any draft, and it doesn't have to be the early drafts. We're not again, this is somebody else we're not going to get a lot of news on, I don't think, throughout the offseason, because it's this the news cycle has ended for him now.
2: Yeah, but for what we do know, as of right now, he's healthy. Paul Sporer was the first I heard talk about this several years ago, and I've heard many others echo it in, in recent years. That one and a third innings does give me confidence. I, I love to see it especially somebody that has been out the entire season. Mm -hmm. It, It does make me take interest. And then guys like this, the question becomes, how many innings do we expect him to be able to go in 2024? Even if he is perfectly healthy all season long, he was down to 144 innings in 2022. That was actually the second most of his career. After 187 in 2021, I, what are we expecting? If he's healthy all season, 120 uh, at best case scenario is probably what I'm looking at. I I guess that a 120,
1: is that a 120 throughout 30 or so starts, or is that 120 in less starts because he hits the IL a couple more times?
2: That's the problem. I, Mm -hmm. I, I think it's, I think he gets limited in both ways, right? I, I think they ease him in early in the season, and we would expect that, I, I believe. But w- once he is rolling and, and still healthy, and we're into May and June, they may still not let him go over five innings. So then it comes becomes a bigger issue in the innings per start. Hmm. So that will be my concern. But I, I do have more confidence in him being healthy and ready to go just because we did see that, even if it was only for four outs, it gives me more confidence going into twenty twenty four.
1: Yeah, that's probably fair. Yeah, I like the yeah the call out to sports like you are healthy now. Yeah. <laughs> that's what's the measurement of health is your health at this very moment. You can't <laughs> necessarily worry about what's going to happen. Yes, previous injury is indicative of future injury, or it's a bit best predictor of future injury. I get that, but at the same time. You're you're healthy now. You can throw a ball (laughs) and at the velocity we expect, then you have to go with that. All right. The one I alluded to earlier, Felix Batista, he made it official. He's going to get Tommy John surgery. Obviously he'll miss the entirety of 2024 with this, with the typical Tommy John surgery timeline though, I would, would expect him to be ready for spring training in twenty twenty five. We don't have to worry about that for another fifty or so episodes, though. So let's let's just talk about what I don't we don't know. Expect- it gets
2: earlier every year. Yeah, that's true.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so Baltimore is still going to need a closer, and we're going to get. a, We've gotten a preview, obviously, of how they are handling their end of game situation over the course of the last month, and then we're going to see what happens throughout the playoffs. But how we're doing a draft like we're doing drafts now, we don't get the luxury of seeing how they're going to handle it in the playoffs or what happens. How confident are you that the 2024 closer for the Baltimore Orioles is already on that roster for you to draft? Or would you expect them to go out and get a one year rental of somebody with the experience to hold down the fort while Bautista gets healthy?
2: Yeah, this is a tough one because e- even teams with good closers and, and other and good candidates in their bullpen with the foundation that the Orioles have now, we expect them to be contenders for quite some time. I think most of us do. and But we also expect the Yankees and Red Sox to be back at some point as well. So they can't just say, okay, we're fine. I think they would be perfectly fine with Yannir Cano going into 2024 as their closer. At the same time, they're going to add bullpen depth over the offseason. Good teams add to their bullpen depth in the offseason typically. And if it happens to be a guy with some um, ninth inning experience, they were still using Cano as a setup guy uh, after Bautista was out at times. He was he was not the guy. He would, He got saves, but he wasn't the guy. So it's tough. I think I draft him the same way I was drafting Evan Phillips last season, which worked out. But even if it didn't in the spot where I was drafting him, he would have remained on my roster all season long anyway, that we talk about those guys all the time on our show almost on a weekly basis throughout. The- <laughs> now, Kano may cost more than Phillips did last season. And in fact, he probably will. But as long as that doesn't get too inflated, I would draft him probably expecting 15 to 20 saves, hoping that he's the guy and gets me that 30 plus. But I, because of this, I think he probably does come at a little bit of a discount. Probably not at, we won't get him as late as we got Phillips last season.
1: Yeah, I think I'm in the camp that, I, ex- I guess it really depends on what Baltimore does in the playoffs this year, but I expect them to be active in the free agent market this off season, way more so than we expected them to, that they didn't actually fall through with last season. Uh, but they are obviously at a point where the best, they have the best record in the American league. They number one seed expected to do some damage in the playoffs, if not go deep into it, uh, and so they have this core that they can very easily build around with the free agent crop that we see this year, this off season. And, the, and there are some interesting relievers slash closers or relievers with closing experience that will be on the market and wouldn't necessarily be looking for a three or four year deal. Like we have the Craig Kimbrels of the world that as much as you've we've seen him struggle at times really fits exactly what I think Baltimore could need as a one-year stopgap and maybe even like a one with a some kind of option going into 2025. You have Josh Hader, obviously, on the market, but that's not a fit for Baltimore in their situation in my mind. He's fit for anybody. Don't get me wrong. But if you're looking for that one-year guy, Trevor May, Craig Kimbrell, even David Robertson, these guys have the experience at the end, some with less success than others but I would expect I'm expecting Baltimore to make that move so I'm less confident to take a risk in these early drafts and grabbing somebody like Cano who yes I agree if he's the guy it's going to be like any of these situations where you weren't sure who was going to be the guy and then all of a sudden They'll realize, oh, there's nobody else on the free agent market. Or, oh, that's right, David Bernard's not actually going to get traded. And then they shoot up the boards. That probably is something I'm not willing to take the risk on in these early drafts, but I would have most of the confidence in Cano to be the guy if it came a little bit more clear that he was he didn't really have the competition of a seasoned veteran that would come in from the outside.
2: Yeah, absolutely. He'll be thirty years old next season.
1: Cano. Uh, yeah, that is, that is not something I had in front of me. Did that, not that's why I brought
2: that. it up. Yeah. I, was, I, I just looked at that. I'm like, He's, he'll be 30 you have years the right old. Cano, the, right? No, <laughs> I, I do before the beginning of the season, he will be 30 years old. All
1: right. Happy birthday. All right. One more piece of news and we're going to get to that after we take this quick break.
0: Fads come and go and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss.
1: All right. It's not really news. It's just like this happens every year. There's always managerial openings across baseball. And the ones that I come across so far, please fill in any gaps that I might have left. But there's going to be we already know of a few. I would expect there to be at least one or two more announced before the end of the playoffs as well. But for right now, we know that Buckshaw Walter will not be coming back to the Mets. Gabe Kapler was fired from the Giants before the end of the season. Terry Francona had already announced he was going to be stepping down in Cleveland. Phil Nevin is out in Anaheim. Dusty Baker is not committed to Houston past this postseason. Craig Council is kind of in the same boat where they're already out so technically he's not the manager of milwaukee anymore he's not signed past 2023 either with all these openings and on top of that this recent criticism that we saw flying around with the blue jays how they handled the jose barrios on game two of their wild card series and how that probably wasn't a decision that manager john schneider made or at least Whit Merrifield was very clear (laughs) and I think he was very clear in what he uh, thought, how he thought that went down and it wasn't Schneider making the decision there. With that being said, like how much impact do you really think managers are going to have in any of these openings or any other openings? And are there any situations across baseball where you feel a manager can actually, you know, play his hand in how the game is played by that team?
2: Yeah, this is, it's unfortunate. All managers are these days are scapegoats, right? And it works, right? You brought it up with, with John Schneider on Wednesday after Jose Barrios was removed in the fourth inning because there was two lefties coming up. We, we presume that's why he was lifted after walking one batter and he seemed to be cruising along pretty well, for 47 pitches, right? John Schneider did not make that decision. There is no way he made that decision. And... But he's getting all the criticism from the fans, right? And that's the only thing the managers are really there for anymore, right? The front offices are, are making these decisions, uh, and the manager is there for as a PR to go to that post conference after the game and explain why he made the decision that he's not really even the one that made it. So it, it, it's it's unfortunate. I think there are some guys around, and some of it's the old school guys, some of it's some of the newer managers in the league that i think kind of help it's more the philosophical leaders the guys that that really cater to the what he thinks their players need to hear and that communication and kind of being a buffer between this new way of the front offices and it's been happening for several years and and longer with different teams, but cushioning the blow on decisions that aren't going to be popular and, and, and holding the teams together as a Royals fan. Ned Yost was not liked by most Royals fans. Even heading into the, the 2014 wild card game at that time, still every loss was we got Yosted. Everything was Ned Yost's fault, and I loved Ned Yost. And I maintain to this day the Royals do not go to either one of the World Series that they went to in 2014 and mm-hmm. 2015 and winning in 2015 without Ned Yost. Those players loved him, and they came together for him. And I think there's still some managers like that. Dusty Baker comes to mind that that you just brought up in Houston. I think he's one of those types of managers is gets his players to rally around him. We'll criticize him at the same time for not playing Chaz McCormick more often when he's (laughs) rostered on our fantasy teams. But I think he's a good manager in that regard. And I think that's a good PR guy. Somebody like Dusty Baker handles his players and then, is good at getting in front of the microphone and taking the blame, even though the front office did it. Those are the the best. That's what teams are looking for now. I don't think they have much of an effect on the outcomes of the games any longer.
1: We we saw somewhat recently Aaron Judge come out in favor of his manager, Aaron Boone. I'm assuming it's not just because they have the same first name, but it's actually, <laughs> he had common, he had kind things to say about the way he manages and the way he, he supports that. And the way he supports his players, it reminds me of what you just said with Ned Yost and how the players rallied around him. And he's, on the other end, Aaron Boone, especially in the last couple weeks of the season, wasn't exactly the best behind the mic as far as <laughs> explaining the decision making uh, process.
2: <laughs> what in the world does Phil Nevin have to do with Anaheim not There's, winning? Uh, his no. Buggings, right? <laughs> but uh, we're, we're firing him. That's supposed to keep the fans happy. We're trying to get somebody new in here. And. He's not the problem.
1: So th- that is a really long-winded sway, I think, of both of us <laughs> saying, no. I'm like <laughs> <they're>, Exactly. <laughs> we, I feel like I bring this up every offseason. I'm like, oh, what kind of impact are we going to? And, and I always bring back when Matheny came into Kansas City, we're like, oh, this is an old-school guy. He doesn't like to run, but it's been provided with a team that runs and knows how to run. He's going to run, and they right. ran. And so it is the manager doesn't play as much of a role as people probably would like them to like to think that they do as far as game management to your point yeah they are still the player's persona they are still like the the face of the franchise in that way and that can blessing and a curse at the same time absolutely all right right. we i think that's a good amount of news to go over this week kevin and the thing that we're missing that we talked about at the beginning of the show is that we're missing playoff baseball because they got swept across the board in the wild card round. And now we have the divisional round coming up this weekend to start. And obviously the league championships and World Series after that, by the end of the month. With that, so there is still baseball being played and there are drafts happening now and there will be drafts happening throughout the offseason season. And we see this every year, or at least we hear about this every year, right? That there are certain players that can do more or less for themselves in the way in which they are able to make a name for themselves in the postseason. Uh, We'll get to a couple of guys that uh, I noticed grabbed some ADP from last year while I still could from NFBC and compared some players who did really well. at least one player who didn't do that well and how that might have impacted their ADP in early drafts compared to say November drafts or just past the postseason so what I want to talk to you about is who are the players that you're either looking at or expecting to either have already made a bigger name for themselves based on what they did in the wild card round or what they could continue to build on moving forward in throughout the playoffs and thus is how much of an impact is that going to play in your valuation on them moving forward? And I think the biggest poster boy for this, this is not a common situation, but like when Randy Arena came in, and he literally came in, I think it was during the playoffs, or it was like the day before the playoffs or whatever, and he did obviously really well in that time, wins rookie of the year the following year, but he he lit the world on fire from the get-go in the playoffs on the biggest stage. And so he became a household name in a way, really quickly in this short period of time. We talk about short samples and how they need to be put into context and all of that. The playoffs, there they are a different environment. They are a different situation. So first and foremost, Kevin, how much are you allowing playoff performance to influence your evaluation of? any player whether they're a pitcher a hitter any position
2: i think i really try the sample size is extremely small so i really try not to let it to affect me at all of course that's almost impossible but uh, i do try to minimize it and the the times that it is something that i will intentionally allow it to influence some of my decisions is if a guy came back late in the season uh, from injury and or somebody that we saw improvements from due to something that we can see a, a concrete change that they made during the season and began to improve and, and does that continue throughout the postseason but in most cases, it's fun to watch. It makes us remember some of these guys a lot longer after they retire than others. Just one good, you no, know, or a couple of good post seasons. I mentioned to you off air that I had a three hour phone conversation with a friend last night, trying to get our postseason lineups ready to go. And we kept referring to, we need to find our Mark Lemke, right? Who's our Mark Lemke? Right? Cause he, he wasn't the greatest Superstar definitely wasn't a superstar, but in the postseason a couple of times, he was a superstar, yeah, sure. right? And so when, when a guy like that does c- come around, it's hard not to let it influence our decisions the following year. Oh, if he could do it in that situation, he can definitely mm-hmm. do it in the middle of April. It, it, it It's hard, but unless it was a tangible change and we're looking for continued improvement or, like I said, somebody that came back late in the year due to injury, we shouldn't really pay any attention to it at all.
1: I I think that the thing that I look at the most in, in playoff is usage. And it is especially in the bullpen. So if a team is willing to forego their closer in a closing situation for their, their second in command, or even their third based on the situation, and they haven't really done that all season, like they went with their guy, Washington did this when they won the World Series. All of a sudden, Daniel Hudson was their closer, and he wasn't their closer all season, but he was the closer during the World Series. That made everybody stand up and watch. I'm like, oh, okay. They trust him in the biggest of situations. This is probably going to be something that they look at in the offseason or make a change the, the following season. In, the usage of starting pitching, obviously, is going to be a little bit different, though it is always interesting to see which starter doesn't make the rotation in a short series as we saw with this wild card round is obviously or what a-
2: pitcher gets lifted in the fourth inning after yeah. giving up one walk.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like you, you always go into, Hey, if you can go into the playoffs with a, with a solid one, two, three. This is why I like the, the Brewers going in before Woodruff uh, an in injury was announced. You have that one, two, three punch of Burns, Woodruff and Peralta. It doesn't matter who four five or six w- would be. They're not in the rotation in the playoffs. Ultimately, unless you have a four game stretch where you have to throw somebody else out. But for the most part, these three guys, they are your, they're going to be your horses through the playoffs and four or five and six are going to end up being bullpen arms. And, that may influence how they're ranked or utilized going into next year. If I realize, hey, this guy was a, the number four, number five on this, and then a free agent, they go into a situation where they can be the one or two, it's going to impact how, what kind of usage I think they're going to get. At the same time, if any other free agent goes in and becomes the four, five, or six in a situation where they weren't really utilized in that role in the playoffs, I think that I take notice of that as well. I think the bullpen, though, is the one that I I take the most, I look at the most in those situations because the sample size, regardless of it being on the biggest stage, sample size for hitters is, and we'll get to even the best performers in just a second from last year, is so small. (laughs) It can be upwards of like, Ten games, thirteen games, and it can be as low as two or three. But you know what? Last year, I keep alluding to it. Last year, we did see some guys um, improve their draft uh, rankings, or at least their ADP. Based, um, my question will be: Is this based solely on what they did in the playoffs, or were there are there mitigating factors that I am just leaving out? If I am cherry picking here, but get you two hitters here, Kevin. You tell me if you can dial back your memory enough where you can remember. What other impacts they might have had in their ADP to make this jump. But the most obvious one was Jeremy Pena, who played 13 games in the playoffs. He went 20 for 58 with a slash of 345, 367, 638, four home runs. In that time, 13 runs scored and eight RBIs. If I'm just sticking to those counting stats that we care about for fantasy in a short sample size, that's really all you can look at. It's, you can't really look at all of the ratios in a 58 play, uh, 58 at bat plus sample. But if you look at his ADP from the first two weeks of October, there were only seven drafts in that time. And I didn't filter. I'm just like I'm just going to take all seven drafts here. Get an ADP of 131, min of 87, max of 156. But after November 1st, through all drafts in November, or at least November yeah, November 1st to the 30th, there were 30 drafts. It dropped. It went from 131 ADP to a 106. So we're talking about a two round difference in a 15, two and a half to three round difference in a 12 min 61 max of 143 so his max went down his min went down his adp obviously went way down harrison bader he only played nine games he batted 333 429 833 with five home runs eight runs six rbis his adp was just shy of 200 in those earliest of drafts it dropped to 172 in november drafts Uh, again min and max dropped uh, considerably as well but this we're talking in the 130 to 213 range on during the month of November. So these two hitters they did well in the playoffs, they put up some numbers, Peña won some awards. Do you think that what they did in the playoffs influenced that ADP bump or were were there other things that might have been thought about with these two guys
2: absolutely with Pena when you're the MVP of two of the three postseason series at the eventual world series champions place, that's going to affect things and that's what we got <laughs> from Pena and other than the the power being less than what we saw last season and in those postseason games Pena was fine this year I, I, I think where he was drafted even after The so-called playoff tax went into effect. I I think we, yeah, definitely wish we would have seen more than ten home runs, but got up over the eighty runs. Here, here's the the thing about Pena. If you go back and look at his game log, he's hitting eighth or ninth uh, a good portion of the season with several long streaks of hitting second. Now, I didn't dive into this. I think it's okay to make an assumption in this case those streaks of hitting second in the lineup is when Altuve was out, I'm guessing. And I'm pretty confident in that without diving in and, and verifying, that's going to be a big deal because it, his RBI were really down on the season on a, on per game basis that over what we saw last season is hitting at the bottom of the order. So the runs were still there. The average actually went up this season. We didn't see a whole lot of power from him. Like we saw, his rookie year, and that plays a lot into it as well, right? He continued to be awesome after he had been great as a rookie. He continued to be awesome in the postseason for the World Series champion. So he absolutely that was uh, a playoff tax in Jerry Jeremy Payney's case, and I don't think it hurt us too much, but it wasn't what we expected
1: this season. Yeah, to clarify your. Pretty much absolutely right. He still jumped around in, in the six hole when Alduve was out, but he was all the times he was batting second. It did coincide with when Alduve was out, both at the beginning of the season and in July, where obviously he moved up to the two spot and Dubon moved up to the, the leadoff spot. Leadoff, actually, yeah. Jose Abreu was in leadoff for a couple of games in there as well. <laughs> which is interesting before he remembered he was a very good baseball player. Yeah. So it's just interesting to see the, the difference in production, not only based on where they are in the lineup, but like how the roster construction is around them as well, based on injuries and what have you. Uh, I, I mean, I see Pena as a little bit of a cautionary tale. It's like, I was really in on Pena going into 2020. Uh, Absolutely. Two. And
2: I wasn't, I wish I'd had been in on him like you were coming in
1: but uh, that's a whole different podcast topic where we talk about these prospects who find them find their way into an opening that you might not have seen prior without after free agency works its way through and you realize oh hey they don't have a shortstop (laughs) they probably are going to play this guy who is their shortstop of the future anyway so there's a there's where jeremy pena comes in
2: bader on the other hand Bader, I think the postseason influenced this, but we've never seen him get much more or many more than 400 plate appearances in a season. And I think his postseason gave people wishful thinking. Like, okay, mm-hmm. he, he's healthy. He performed at the highest level of Major League Baseball, and in the postseason, he was awesome. Five home runs. They they have to play him every day when he's healthy, and I. So the postseason had to do with it, but I don't think it was as warranted as it was with Pena.
1: Yeah, this is a situation where it's you have to remember who these guys actually are, and they are who we thought they were. Right? It's like that whole montage, and Bader still is who we thought he was—like somebody who's when he's on the field and is healthy, he's can be very good. The power is a little surprising. The five home runs in, the, in this short period and only 30 at-bats. Bader was brought on to the Yankees, traded with the Durham Montgomery for the outfield defense. He could play center field and the speed factor, the bonus, the power was a bonus in my mind. It's there, but it's not like the carrying tool. And so to see that, it's like you have to, I, me, I see that and I have to take that with the grain of salt.
2: Um, it matched his regular season total. Yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> and now he had 16 in 2021. So that 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 plays into it as well, right? Oh, he's got it. It's coming back. There it is. Coming back. He can be a 2020 guy. That's we no matter how the numbers move, no matter how many home runs become as impressive as they once were. And no matter how many more stolen bases it's gonna take for our fantasy leagues 2020.
1: Potential is always going to be, <laughs> it's gonna be a topic. <laughs> yes. It's just good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he can be a 2020 if he can get the 600 at bats. That's the, the key part. We talk about this with projections. It's like projections are great to use, but you need to adjust based on what you think the total plate appearances or total innings are going to actually be because that's all what those projections are based on. All right, we got a, I got a couple of pitchers here that we need to get to. We're going to get to those and also some players that we're looking at for 2023 playoffs right after this break. All right, Kevin, I got two uh, pitchers from last postseason that adjusted their ADP based on their performance. One good, one not so good. We'll start with the positive here. Christian Javier, he pitched in three games. Two of them he started. Did go two, so he got two wins out of, out of that short sample size. 12 and two-third innings. He only let up one earned run. Five walks, though. 16 strikeouts in those 12 and two-thirds. That equates to a .71 ERA. He had a very early draft ADP of 95 ish, min of 77, max of 134. His November drafts, though, he dropped down a whole round to 83 and with a minimum pick of 61, max of 116. So, big drop in his picks became more condensed as well. So, like yeah. the difference between his min and max was much less. His max went down a good 30, 30 spots as well. So nobody was taking too many chances on missing out on Christian Javier as they were in the very earliest of drafts. Christian Javier was a darling of communication throughout the offseason. Everybody's talking about him anyway. He didn't do himself any harm with this playoff performance, at least on a total scale. Obviously, also playing pitching for the, the Astros didn't hurt as well. The biggest of biggest stages always in the spotlight. Do you put any influence on what he did in the playoffs into how that impacted his ADP? Or do you just think this is a situation where everybody's just talking him up because they saw what he could possibly do, the role he was going to get moving into 2023? We're not going to talk about what he actually did in 2023. I mean, you can, but that's not what influenced this draft cost what are your thoughts on Javier and what he did
2: yeah the postseason absolutely had some influence now he was like you said he was already moving up draft boards from the previous season obviously he'd only had nine starts in 2021 had 25 in 2022 and they were very good so he was already on people's radars, but then his postseason performance just gave it that little bit of uh, extra boost. I remember uh, watching World Series games in Arizona, and there's all uh, hundreds of uh, fantasy baseball fans here <laughs> wa- wa- watching him
1: perform. There were worst and, places to watch the World Series. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But he's, it,
2: it absolutely, people were, he was the talk of, of the postseason as far as pitchers go, I think everybody was enamored with what he had been doing throughout the season and then keeping it up in the postseason so it absolutely contributed and on on the flip side yeah i think aaron Nola dropped in drafts due to what had transpired in the postseason he was a disappointment for the Phillies and it's a completely i want to say it's a completely different situation it's really not though it's it was just opposite outcomes that Javier performing at the highest level in the postseason did bump him up above and beyond the bump he was already getting from his awesome regular season. Aaron Nola still dropped and just because and he wasn't absolutely horrendous but he didn't do what Phillies fans and, and those that were watching the Phillies play in the postseason expected of him.
1: Yeah, Aaron Nola, five, he started five games throughout the postseason, went two and two, 25 and two-thirds innings, 14 earned runs, five walks, only five walks. That's, that feels pretty good, especially after the control issues we've seen um, out of him this year. Uh, 27 strikeouts, which is nice. But obviously, those 14 earned runs translates into a just shy of five ERA, a 4.91 ERA. In those earliest of drafts, he was still going ADP of 37. He had a 32 Mm -hmm. to 42 min max. But then after the playoffs ended, he dropped dropped down in November drafts to, yeah, 52. ADP of 52, min of 29, went as high as 82. Overall in the November drafts, you can chalk it up to, Hey, you know what this, everybody remembered this was going to be an odd year. And so Aaron Nola wasn't mm-hmm. going to be good in an odd year. Everybody knows that, that's science, but the influence that this perform this was the, this was recency bias, right? This is the last of thing course. everybody remembers about Aaron Nola was that he, not that he choked, but he just did not perform the way you want him to perform at the highest stage. So it had to play a part. Maybe obviously, Aaron Nola was a back and forth player throughout course of twenty twenty three. You didn't know if you actually wanted to keep rostering him. You didn't know if you could trust him putting him out from start to start. A little bit of a cherry bomb throughout the throughout the season. So maybe this kind of did every did some people some favors, but the Christian Javier same in a similar situation. You didn't want Christian Javier on your team for a good chunk of twenty twenty three, but yet you paid the freight based on his performance, not only from 2022, but the playoffs. So these are the cautionary tales that I'm trying to bring up and be like, realize, you know what, there, there's more to it than just this small sample size. you got to keep that in mind. And I don't know, in my mind, you can't let, and you led with it. You can't really allow it to influence yourself too much, unless you see an actual change in, in how they're performing, As far as how they're swinging the bat or how if their velocity is up or down consistently, as Nick Pollock always says, like if they are sitting at a certain velocity rather than just hitting, obviously that's more important in like spring training. And as you're leading up to the season, but it is an important term to keep in mind when you are listening to where these guys are, or or what they're doing on the mound.
2: Yeah. And I know I'm getting ahead of ourselves here a little bit on the rundown, but I'm afraid Aaron Nola Already ruined our discount for next season. <laughs> yeah. Run out there and threw seven innings. And <laughs> what are you doing, Noah? <laughs> Yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> because when you talk about the every other year and then just look at the home runs per nine every other year, and, and we know that number it's is uncanny. volatile, right? We know that number is so volatile, but that is the number that explains everything with Aaron Nola because his underlying numbers this season were exactly the same as they were last season. Everything except the home run percentages. And so if that drops back down next season, I think we're looking at a, a nice little discount on Aaron Nola and he's out there messing it up for everybody. Well, new I'm wrinkle. pitching well in the postseason. There's a new
1: wrinkle for Aaron Nola. <laughs> is that he might not be in Philly next year. That odd even thing might not matter if he's pitching and in, that, say, you know, ultimately Depending Baltimore. on where he yeah. ends
2: up, that could really help that home run rate as well. So, yeah.
1: You think he'd want to be picky about that. <laughs> I, I That is, that's a very interesting piece to consider is how does ballpark, Situations actually in how much of that actually influence a player where they actually want to play? All Are you gotta they really
2: look at Colorado? Yeah, they sign a free agent. That's they have the to extreme. Former more more development. Cincinnati's becoming that way. Most teams in Cincinnati's situation, we'd be like, Yeah, you go sign a couple free agent pitchers this season and you're off and rolling. They're going to have a very difficult time without overpaying by millions of dollars to get those free agents to come to Great American Small Park.
1: Yeah, there's there's so many factors in where ex- especially major free agents go. Not only the ballpark, but obviously the team construct and where they're at, but money, not only contract size, but taxes, they have to play a they have to play a factor. Like if you're deciding whether or not you're going to sign in Toronto versus Miami, there's a big swing <laughs> in in monetary compensation that needs to happen in order to counteract the whole taxes thing and all that whole different podcasts i'm sure <laughs> so these are guys that kind of influenced and, and there are more but we only we have so much time here that influenced their adp from the 2023 playoffs 2022 playoffs kevin who can or who has already from your from what you've seen in the wild card round and then look previewing the divisional round at least who's gonna influence their ADP from, we've already seen a couple boards or at least partial boards of drafts. So we, we're we going to get ADP soon, probably in the next, I don't know, probably in the next week or two, depending on how fast these first couple DCs finish up. And we're, so we'll have a little bit of a sample, but then we're going to get a whole new ADP through November. And that's going to be influenced by some of these playoff runs.
2: Yeah, the, the, one, the first one that comes to mind, and this is obviously he was more touted prospect but I it it was going to be really tough for me to try to figure out where I was comfortable with Royce Lewis with the injury concerns and now his already his postseason performance two home runs in game one it's like man he is so good and he's probably going to be drafted higher than he should be with these injury concerns and after the some of the, in hindsight, mistakes I made this, this past season. with I, I thought I learned my lesson with Christian Yelich a few seasons ago, and then I was right back to my old ways this season. And a guy like Royce Lewis went healthy. I would love to have him. But I think the, I think his postseason is going to send
1: his costs soaring in draft season. Yeah, be, he's already he had the the first home run, I think, of the postseason. So, if, of course, you get that tweet out there. You get on the center Second stage one and in that, the game. And, yeah, yeah. Like, and now, oh, obviously, the go. Twins move on to the next round. And Yeah, if he comes out of the postseason
2: healthy, he's going to be out of my price range mm-hmm.
1: this season,
2: unfortunately. Probably would have been anyway, but.
1: <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, I think that there's a there would have been opportunity for some of the younger guys in Tampa Bay to have made names for themselves that aren't going to get the opportunity. Maybe luckily, if they were guys that you were on or not. So there's that to also keep in mind that if you were in on somebody and they are out of it, keep that to yourself. That's fine. Put that in your back pocket. Don't forget about it. And don't let the uh, production of other guys that maybe – are coming out of the woodwork that you weren't really in on who have really positive impacts in the postseason, kind of influence the guys that you were already on. 100%. Anybody else besides the obvious Royce Lewis, the low hanging fruit, if you will, just because of the, what he has already been able to do in the wild card round? Obviously, we've got guys in Baltimore who haven't tasted the postseason in ever. Not only because of their youth, but also just because of the franchise's lack of the you know, actually making it to the postseason. in And oh I forgot what year it was, but it's been a while. And so Baltimore is the new team on the block. Houston hadn't played in a wild card game. So obviously they've been around just about everybody on that roster. I think that Yenier Diaz is somebody that I'll be keeping an eye on. I think that he has the ability to basically do what Jeremy Pena did the year prior for the same team. As long as he gives, as long as he's given the opportunity by Dusty Baker and company to actually put forth what he can do. And we all know he's the better hitting catcher on that roster. And if they want to score runs and and put the ball in play more often, Diaz needs to be in the game much more so than Maldonado. And if they do that and he takes advantage of that, the question obviously is going to be all off season about whether or not he is taking over full range going into 2024. How much playing time will he actually get? Is Dusty Baker still the manager? A lot of questions still revolve around what how that situation pans out. But he's going to be a top catching target. He, maybe he doesn't move up a whole bunch in ADP, but he'll be more targeted, I think, with a str- very strong postseason run.
2: I agree. I, I mentioned my three-hour phone call last evening, and the buddy I was talking to is in Texas. I said, "Hey, will you get a hold of Dusty Baker and uh, ask him how many lineups he's going to be in over the next few days?" That's the valuable to information yeah. right now. Right? <laughs> and so, absolutely, if he does get the opportunity and does capitalize, I think the the narrative becomes they can't keep him out of the lineup. The Houston Astros are usually good enough that yeah, they could. If they want Jordan Alvarez in the DH spot and they want the the defense and framing of Martin Maldonado behind the plate, they absolutely will. They're good enough. They can win without Diaz. They might want his extra boost in the postseason, and yeah. And more so than he can't flop, but more so than performance. I, I think being in the lineup every day during the postseason will send his, his draft cost up quite a bit. Uh, we would think that, oh, they trust him in the postseason, just like we were talking with pitchers earlier. If they they trust him in the postseason, then they're going to get him in the lineup more uh, next regular season. And that may be the case, but uh, I'd I'd be a little leery of it. Uh, Like I said, the Astros can win a lot of regular season games without him.
1: Yeah, absolutely. One more um, name I'll be watching throughout the rest of the postseason is how Texas, and this goes back to what I was talking about earlier with how a team utilizes their bullpen. Texas, if anybody's not aware, they don't have a top reliever on contract for 2024. Jose Leclerc is the only one, and he has a, I believe it's a team option. So it's likely that he is brought back. But Will Smith's a free agent. I think Jonathan Hernandez is also a a free agent as well. So LeClerc is pretty much the obvious in-house closer that they have if they don't Mm -hmm. go out and get somebody else on free agents like we talked about with Baltimore's possibilities. But how they utilize LeClerc in this, the rest of the remaining part of this postseason as far as deep as they get. And if he is the consistent go-to, and I know that there was a lot of back and forth over the course of obviously with Chapman and Will Smith, and then LeClerc was getting in on the action as well toward the end of the season as well. Again, we are in the biggest stage here. How they, if they put the trust in him now and he performs, it makes me more likely to jump in on him on early drafts with the assumption that the Rangers trust him enough not to go out and get a Josh Hader or a Craig Kimball or somebody else with the experience to, to take that role.
2: Yep. I agree. Another Ranger as well. That's probably going to be fairly popular as we get into early drafts, but a big postseason could send him skyrocketing is Evan Carter. Yeah. I, we're already after two postseason games, I was seeing comps on Twitter to Kyle Tucker. If that's not going to send your draft costs soaring, I don't know what will.
1: <laughs> I think the only thing that'll, that'll up that is that will if all of a sudden they find a way to get Wyatt Langford into the postseason roster, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and he just absolutely. skips everything. And then, yeah, we're already expecting him to be on the opening day roster. That would be something if they found a way to uh, circumvent that and made him eligible for that. All right, Kevin, anybody else that obviously stands out that we haven't talked about? There's still obviously a lot of players and a lot of things that can happen. But those, I think those are some pretty good names that they have the ability of really impacting the how people are looking at them, especially in drafts, like we're like, nothing's going to happen with the guys at the top. Like, Kyle Tucker can't do anything to change his ADP besides right. something really. Never mind, I'm gonna, I'm gonna edit that part yeah, out. Don't say it, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but like, these guys aren't going to do and anything. The for anybody who's already going in the first two rounds is not of concern. We're talking of, this is why I brought up Jeremy Pena, who's going at in the 130 you go 130 to 106. Not guys that are going from two, which isn't going to happen anyway. Anybody else that worth mentioning?
2: Some of the young Dodgers pitchers, I think the Dodgers don't seem to have the depth at pitching we're used to them having. Almost limping into the the postseason as far as pitching goes. If if guys like Bobby Miller go out and dominate, that's just going to they're they're already going to be popular anyway. But that would definitely boost the, their their value in the early draft season I it it would go up dramatically I think if if those guys perform younger players in general right I think some of the guys that even if we've seen them all season long even if they were with the team at the beginning of April of last year it still just verifies what we saw throughout the season and if they came up later and on throughout the season and maybe even if they struggled at points during the season if they perform in the postseason, we get it in our heads. Oh, if they can do it in the playoffs, then they can do it against anybody. So young players in general, as well.
1: Yeah, I think Ryan Pepio has the opportunity to be this year's Christian Javier. Hundred, like maybe not with the same exact strikeout rate that Javier brought to the table, but he's already got some hype based on what he was able to do toward the end of the season with the Dodgers and if he's able to build on that. Even it even if it is from a bullpen perspective, which it most likely will be the majority of the time. He might get a start, but I think those are higher
2: leverage situations. They get even more focus and Mm -hmm. they
1: could easily, he could easily go two innings, two and a half, two Mm -hmm. and a third, maybe even three innings in certain situations. Just not if he was pitching for the blue Jays, that is of course. So (laughs) Joe
2: Rico is going to hate listening to this episode (laughs) because he was so fired up on Twitter (laughs) yesterday and we keep alluding to it. Sorry, Joe can't wait to see it. We're just calling it out. (laughs) I can't, can't wait to see it in, in, here in less than four weeks now. But yeah, sorry about your Blue Jays,
1: man. Yeah. yeah, Joe can make it up by kicking all our butts in the draft in our first listener league draft. He is signed up. Yes, if he is. you are not signed up, make sure you are DMing me, DM on the wire pod. Ask us if by the time this comes out, there's still an opening. Hopefully there is not. But we will be doing more drafts throughout the season. I, w- I would say, Kevin, at least one a month. That's pretty much what we did in the first half of the offseason last year. We mm-hmm. did one a month and then we upped it to two a month as we got closer and closer to March. So, yeah, we'll mix and match a couple 15s, a couple 12s. So if you like those 12s, you can wait for one of those. We'll do another at least one more 15, I think, just so we can combine the leagues and have an overall prize of a yoohoo shower. But it's still overall. And I would be remissed not to bring up the fact that we do have final standings for the 2023 Tweeted that out. We had well, a change. Yes, that was a surprise. And actually, we, Kevin, I don't know, but I can't, I want to speak for you, but I didn't notice until we got the text. So it's it me
2: looking at every league I'm in,
1: right? First and foremost, we invited <laughs> Casey Bubba. We invited Casey Bubba onto the show because he was leading by a, a decent amount, Casey. And, and then he fell down. I think I don't understand in front of me, but I think he ended up Maybe being little, fourth, fourth yeah. overall. And then, listener, Adam Lazarus, hopefully, Adam, I'm uh, saying your name correctly, the last name correctly, but Adam Lazarus, not on Twitter. Can't tag him, or at least you didn't want to give me his Twitter handle, which I do not blame you <laughs> if that's the case. <laughs> Congratulations. He held on to that first spot. Oh, wait a minute. One last possible second. They made all the stats from the Thursday Miami Mets game official. Only
2: eight innings. That's it. The only. top of the ninth didn't count. Yeah.
1: Only eight and yes, yeah, so all those any of the stats that might have happened in the in the top of the ninth, Miami scoring those two runs, they those go out the window. But the other their stats go final, and lo and behold, we have a co-overall champion. The one and only Yancey Ian jumps up into a share of first place with Adam Lazarus. So congratulations to both Yancey and Adam. Hopefully we can get you guys back on, or Yancy back on the pod and Adam, if interested, we'd love to have you on the pod as well in the near future, this off season. to talk about that and then your plans for 2024 as well. So congratulations to all you guys. Thank you everybody who participated we had 10 leagues of 12 120 obviously there were a couple uh double entries in there so we didn't have 120 individuals but we had 120 teams um i would hope and expect that we will get just as many if not more for the 2024 listener league between the two sets of leagues that we end up doing so if you're interested shoot us a dm we'll get you on the uh, we'll get you on the pre-registration wait list and we'll definitely get you in we're going to keep all of our leagues at $50, very approachable, really good uh, um, prize pool. Kevin, you talked about that on the last show or the previous show, because these are satellite leagues. We do an overall, but it's just for fun. So all the prize money goes right back into the league winners in NFBC takes their takes their cut, but it's a much smaller cut than when you play in an overall contest so that's nice yeah and when
2: you're when you're dming myself or adam or at on the wired pod let us know when you'd like to draft so we can start planning how many drafts per month that we're going to try to
1: roll out yeah, and how many you want to do? Let me know. Let us know that too, because we had lots of people. I think we had at least one or two people do every single one. Shout out, <laughs> David Odom. I think you were in every single draft. Congratulations on your success in that as well. He's in this early draft as well. Yep. Glad to have you, man. And we will we'll have a good time once it's full and drafted. Got some fun people in it. Hopefully, again, hopefully it's full. Hopefully, all this is, doesn't matter. But but you know, we'll
2: get the next one exactly. uh, rolling soon.
1: Well, Gavin, anything else you want to add before we head on out of here? No,
2: nope. just another reminder. We've talked about it the last couple of weeks. Scrape your data if it's something you want to be looking at through the offseason, especially when we're talking these early drafts. It can become a little difficult to, to get some of the information you may be looking for. And uh, enjoy the postseason. Have a good time. We, we love baseball first, right?
1: Yeah, baseball first, baseball for all. All right, guys, that is going to wrap it up for episode 135 of On The Wire. You can follow myself on the Twitter at 80grade. That's all spelled out. Kevin is at Hasting Kevin, of course, follow the pod itself at On The Wire Pod. After all that, I am Adam Howe on behalf of Kevin Hasting. Thanks for listening, and we bid you goodbye.